Well, today, the way that we're going to um, operate is I've asked Claudia to be our question reader, and there's no doubt in my mind that we're, not, uh, that we're going to um, not get to each and every question that was asked of us. And so part of what we've decided to do was to take some of the best questions that you've asked and put them together and write out our responses so that if you'd like to later, you can access our responses through our social media platform. We'll post a link to it, uh, to our website. You can see uh, our responses to some of the best questions that we have. Um, and, and if you'd like to, later on when you see that, you can tag your friends or whoever missed or, or, um, uh, or, or maybe send it to a friend that you feel like needs that response. So we, we thank you so much for coming. And without further ado, I think it's time. Claudia, would you mind uh, asking our first question for Family Talk? Okay. The first question is, how do I teach my... I'm sorry. Maybe we should introduce ourselves. I'm sorry. Would, let's take a moment and let's go around and introduce ourselves. And if you're the staff member, would you uh, say your name, your position, and then uh, introduce your family? I'll start, come back here and we'll work it. So I'm Pastor Henry Felkins. This is my son, Isaac, and daughter, Symphony. Is that what you wanted? Yes. Great, <laughs> I pass. I'm Pastor Dave. I'm operations pastor here at Christ's Legacy. This is my beautiful bride, Nicole. And behind me is my daughter, Ella. Stand up tall, Ella. I'll duck down. And I have a son named Riker, and he's nine. He's in our children's ministries department right now. I'm Martin Perryman. This is my wife, Janice. And I thought this morning we were married before any of these other people were born. We have two daughters, the age of these young people. And uh, Jeanette and Bill go to Capitol Hill Assembly of God uh, in southwest Oklahoma City. And Michelle and her husband Raymond and our, our granddaughter that the, they hold captive in Texas uh, are in South Texas working for the Lord. And so uh, we're, we're thankful to be on staff here, Pastor John. I'm thankful for you too. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, while they were talking, I was handed two mics, so I'm not exactly sure which one to use, so I'm going to use this one. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Uh, Claudia, would you read our first question? Okay. How do I teach my kids to be open and honest with me without trying to be their friend more than their parents? That's a good one. Uh, Janice and I have found, of course, we, we've raised two daughters, and we found that, that the way to build that type of relationship is just to build an open and honest relationship with them. And uh, what, uh, what we did was in ordinary activities, Make a, make a way for, for us to talk to uh, our young people and to build re relationship with them. Uh, for my part, uh, I would take them to school most mornings, and on the way we'd have prayer. And then Janice had them, you know, during the day and that type of thing. And so at night, it became my honor and privilege. I started to say duty, but it was really a lot of fun. I would tuck them in at night. And we'd tease and talk, and they'd be able to ask questions. We'd, we had a great relationship with our kids. There was times, sometime that you did have to do tough love with them as well, and you had to be the parent 
And sometimes there were some things, sometimes that we didn't think was best for them to do in activities. And at those times, we would always create something different. One time there was a place that we didn't think it was best for them to go, and we had a young ladies over at the house, and we did tie-dye shirts, so for an example. I remember Jeanette came in one evening at dinner time and she said, so-and-so asked me to go with him. And I said, go where? Now, it sounds like I was thick, but I knew exactly what she was talking about. I wasn't ready for my little girl to start dating. I don't think anybody is, Brother Perriman. <laughs> no, it's not. So next question, when going through spiritual warfare, what's the most effective way to fight back or get through it all? I got you. Um, so Satan's strategy is to destroy you, right? First Peter 5, 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But I'm here to tell you that God's purpose is to deliver and deploy you. So number one, the advice is prayer and fasting. And there's many, many scriptures in the word about prayer and fasting. So, and I would encourage you also that if you're able to include your friends, your family, your church in that, because the more believers you have going before the throne, the better, amen. Number two, laying on, laying on of hands with anointing oil, prayer. And uh, last, but certainly not least, praise and worship. How many knew I was gonna say that? So. How many know the song? This is how I fight my battles. Remember, it gets the, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Amen? There you go. My kids want to talk? No. Okay. okay. Uh, question three. Is it normal to get mad at family? How do you handle a fight in the family? I think it's probably abnormal if your family never fights. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think that the Elliots are well-placed to answer this question. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, think, I think that that's exactly right. It is abnormal if your family doesn't fight, but the question is, is it healthy, is it right? And, and it is healthy and it is right as long as your family stays on the subject of what is being disagreed about. Oftentimes when we fight, when we argue, um, the situation devolves into name calling, into um, holding past mistakes against other people. Um, I don't know if, if it's our kids, um, our kids. Pulling hair, spitting on each other. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets ugly sometimes. Um, but the main thing is to make sure that the fights stay on subject and and um, one, of the, one of the most common things for uh, parents to do is to try to retreat into the back bedroom so that your kids don't see a fight, don't see you talk things out. And at first, that seems like a really good idea. But I would challenge that because if they never see the argument, then they never see how it resolves. And then you rob them of the ability to have personal conflict resolution. And whenever they can't solve the problem themselves, 
later on, whenever they're married, it's going to surprise them that, that there's conflict because they never saw it growing up. And so ensuring that you fight fair as a couple in front of your kids and you allow your kids to see the res- resolution of that conflict, and then it equips your kids to be able to resolve all their conflicts on their own as well later on in life. But, um, but one thing that I would, I would also encourage is always see, go for the resolution. Don't go for the win. Always go for the resolution. And I wrote a verse down in this response. It's uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, excuse me. It's Ephesians chapter 4, 32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's a lot easier to do that with people that are not in your family. But we try to remind our kids to be kind to each other even when they're fighting because otherwise it can escalate and no one even remembers what the problem was about in the first place. Which is oftentimes a difficult conversation whenever one of them has another in a headlock. But still important. As was the case Friday. (laughs) Yeah, still important. Also, conflict resolution skills. Um, Some people... um, May, may it may not be natural for you to employ conflict resolution devices inside of your inside of your arguments. But the other day, our kids were fighting. Remember this? We were driving down uh, in the car to to the mall, and we found out that uh, one of our kids had a problem on the bus. And you know the story. I mean, back and forth, and and the other one is trying to fill us in on the conflict, and it's just getting crazy. And people are trying to talk over each other. And so one of the conflict resolution skills that I employed is actually a, a, a marital co- conflict resolution device, and it's taking turns. Now, this is how it goes. If, if, you, if things get gridlocked inside of an argument, okay, then what you do is you, you get a timer, and you say, okay, you've got one minute to talk, and you say everything that you need to say in that one minute, and the other person can't talk at all. You can't go, mm-hmm or you can't do anything, you know, you just have to sit there and listen. One minute uninterrupted. The really important thing about this is that there are some people that you, you, you've learned to try to, um, try to out-talk the other person, and, and that, that shuts another person down. But there's also other people that have a hard time putting your words into sentences whenever you get angry. And like me, I, whenever I get mad, I start, stop making sense. Like, I just start grunting, you know. Is that true, Claudia? Does he? Yes. Okay, just making sure. The, the problem is, is she is the exact opposite of me. She gets sharp whenever she's, she's upset. And so it's like, it, I mean, I get shut down and she, no, I'm just joking. Anyway. But the point is, is if you take turns, then all that like allows another person to put their thoughts out there and allows the other person to listen. You take turns back and forth until you can at least understand the other person's side of the argument. Really works well whenever things are locked up in marriage. Works super well with the kids. Okay, you guys ready for the next question? Who handles the money? So, talk about conflict resolution. (laughs) 
You know, in all of my studies, I don't think there's one scripture that says, you know, the man is supposed to have the checkbook in scripture. There's not a scripture that says the woman should have the the checkbook. And I like what Pastor John did last week when he talked about balance in marriage. You want that checkbook to balance, right, church? You want that checkbook to balance, right? And so That's where have, you say amen. <laughs> you, you have to have that balance in marriage. And so... When we, when we think about that, we look back and we say, okay, one of us is probably better at numbers than the other person. And so wisdom says, if that person is better at the numbers, you probably should let that person, he or she, take charge of that, that checkbook. Now, what if both of you are accountants? I would go back to that same rule. One of you is probably a little better at those numbers, you know, or, or take it a balance and say, for this five years, you're going to do it. This six months, you're going to do it. Then give it to me. And then go back and look at the numbers. One of you is going to be probably a little better at those numbers. And so that, that's the balance. Um, in my family, I take care of the checkbook. I've kind of always done that. There was a small period of time. <laughs> It's not that I can't. I have had to do it, especially when your husband is in another country. You kind of have to make sure you have your checks and balances. But like you said, I prefer that as a gift that he has. That is not my gift. I'll do it if I have to. But if he's of sound mind and all of that, he's going to do it. So it's not that I can't, but that is not my gift. But if I had to, yes, I would. But it's all you. <laughs> Church, do it together. Both of you need to be looking at those, those numbers. One of you needs to be spending that money, yes, to pay bills and all of that. But that other person needs to be aware of what you're doing. There's, there shouldn't be any secrets in marriage, right? So one of, the other, <laughs> one of the other good things I'm good at is cleaning toilets, and I take care of those toilets. It's not about he who controls the money is controlling the house and all that. It's balance. Let's keep that balance in our marriage. And another balance would be, you know, sometimes there's been times when God puts on our heart, hey, let's, you know, give to a fund or help this missionary. Um, and it's kind of funny because we, when, when we are in balance, usually the Lord gives us the same amount. So, you know, just keep that working together and, and stay on that same page. Okay, next question. My husband and I have different parenting styles. How do we find a middle ground? That's, forgot, that's my question. <laughs> uh, usually it doesn't, it, it when we talk about parenting styles, it doesn't always come down to really styles. It comes down to individual kids. A lot of the time it comes down to individual kids and how they respond to, to discipline, really. And my kids are all over the place as far as how they respond to different things. How, how do our kids respond? Do you know? Well, we have one that you have to say something and you have to say it multiple times and say it really loud before they understand what you need them to do. But we have another one that if they do something wrong and you just even look at them like you've disappointed them, he just melts and starts crying. So we obviously handle discipline a little bit different between 
those two kids because what will work with one is not going to work with the other one. And our ultimate goal is to have them love Jesus and, and love others. And if that's our goal, then we're not going to have just one blanket way to discipline all of them. That's why it's so important to um, learn who your kids are. A lot of us go into our, our um, uh, parenting with the kind of concept that this is how we're going to do things. We're going to run a tight ship. We're, we're going to do things exactly like our parents did, or maybe the opposite. We're going to do nothing like our parents did. Either one of those, it's more about the way your kids respond. So really what you're after is the result, right, parents? You want your kid to grow up and to uh, love the Lord and to know his word and to be respectful and to, and to be responsible. And all of those things uh, that you want, um, you can get there in many directions. There's more than one way to skin a cat. And so I would say that it's not necessarily about, um, about different parenting styles. It's about listening to your kid, loving them, and making sure that you're doing the corrections as, uh, as needed in order to bring them into the direction that you want them to be, the, the, the way that you think is, is the right way uh, to go. And I think that uh, there's a verse that we wrote down. That's a Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And so we're going to discipline all of our kids, but it might look different with each of our kids, depending on how they will receive it. Yeah, and, and it's also really important to stay consistent as parents. Um, because what will happen is if you're parenting inconsistently, then your kid will figure out who's the weaker one. And then they'll always go on the weak, like they'll, they'll ask mom and they'll get the answer that they didn't want and so they'll come and ask dad if dad is somewhere else and didn't hear what mom said and then they'll try to get the answer that they want and then they'll go say well dad said it was fine and then all of a sudden the conflict's not between you and your kid it's between you and your spouse and that that happens a lot more than you probably want to admit and so stay consistent as parents that's why it's super important to continue to communicate between the both of you and one of the things i like to do is is ask them has mom already given you an answer? <laughs> Next question. As a young couple, we get asked by everyone about having children. We as a couple have decided to not have children, but feel that people think it is selfish or biblically incorrect. What is the proper or biblical outlook on this? We were asked to address this question, and uh, Janice and I did quite a bit of research and honestly, we can't find anything in Scripture that speaks to this issue. Uh, the Bible talks a lot about blessing families with children, but when you choose not to have children, uh, it, it really doesn't say anything about that. There's, uh, I, I called Dr. Josh here this morning. I don't see him. I called Dr. Dr. Josh Rollins this week, and I said, doesn't logic have something about a, an argument from silence? And sometimes the argument from silence is you just have to you just have to find God's will for yourself and, and make make your own choice. And if if you have something that you feel the peace of God about, you let the peace of God rule. Uh, Philippians chapter two, verse number twelve. King James Version, because that's what I've got memorized, says, work out your own salvation 
with fear and trembling. It, it, that doesn't mean I go do my own thing, but it means that as I, as I wait before the Lord, then I ask God for his direction. So sometimes if, if people, you know, you know it's, and sometimes grandparents, we want grandchildren. Well, I understand that. We wanted them for a long time too. Thought we were never going to have them. But, but anyway, you just have to kindly deflect that type of thing if that's what you as a couple have decided and, and you're good with it. Now, let me give you another perspective. I have a very good friend. In fact, he's one of my very closest friends. And before they married, they decided not to have children. He's an only child. She has a front from a family of four siblings. And they were married for several years. They made this decision. They were married for several years. And, and the, the nurturing desire kicked in with her. She wanted to have kids. And he still held out no kids. And, and so... They, they took her to the doctor. It caused nerve problems. Took her to the doctor. And finally, the doctor said, the answer is buy a dog. And so, so they got her a dog. And so she could have some, something to nurture. Okay? Now we fast forward. They've been married over 50 years. He is struggling with the early stages of some type of dementia. He's an only child, no siblings there. She has three, but no children. So they had to move close to her family so she would have somebody to help when he gets to the place that she cannot manage on her own. And so it's just a little bit different perspective. You know, there's a family that has. It's worked well for them as a couple, but now in the senior years of their life, she's the oldest child of these four. And in these senior years, they had to get close to where they'd have somebody to help them out. So, you know, something like this, you gotta, you got to find a place. you got to find your own way. And, and I, always, I always think that counsel, let the peace of God rule, is important. My, my dad said that he had me so I would mow the lawn. So, so you would have a brother-in-law? No, so I, I would mow the lawn. So you'd mow the lawn. But I had two girls, that wasn't an answer. I also think that there's some, some people in here that, that are going to um, go home and they're going to make an argument from silence and just ignore their spouse. So I want to let you know. That's not an answer either. Yeah, that's, that's, not, a, that's not necessarily an answer when you're actually having an argument with your spouse. Don't, don't not say anything. And then when pressed, say, let the peace of God guide you. Okay. It's not appropriate in that situation. Here is the next question from the congregation. How do I instill respect into my kids? I got this one. Um, I feel the biggest way to instill respect in your kids is to respect them. Be genuine. Um, be respectful to those that you come in contact with in, in public and other family members. Just other people. Just try to uh, model it. And I think that um, even if they're not so much when they're younger, as they get older, they'll, they'll remember those times and that they'll, they'll start exercising that as well. Um, so you teach them by modeling it, but not only that, listen to them when they, when they have opinions or they have um, 
something that they need to say. I think it's very important to, to value what they say. It's, and I'm, I'm guilty as, I hope I'm not the only parent guilty, but you're busy and your kid wants to come up and say something and you're the kind of like your mind's going everywhere and you're trying to rush them on. So just try to remember this, what I just said, and pause and pay attention, focus on your kid, listen to them, be respectful of them. And, and I, I believe that as they grow up, I don't know, my kids are pretty respectful. I think, they, I think they're good kids. So. You got great kids. Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, ha- having kids and, and they're super young, you kind of get a, used to responding to them in, a, in, in certain ways, you know? Like my kids, uh, my uh, youngest son, he's he's sitting right over here in a, in a in a stroller. My second youngest son, he's not making a lot of sense, and he's just driven by pure emotion and desire for candy. Okay, and so I get used to saying no a lot, or dismissing him, or 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 subduing him <laughs> some some kind of capacity. But I realize that if if that if that behavior continues to go on as they grow up that uh, that's not really fair to them. And so you have to continuously reevaluate how you listen to them. I think that's what, really what you're saying is just listen to them and listen to them as, as much as you can um, and as much makes sense. I don't know how many times, uh, anytime I come in contact with any of you, you've probably heard me say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, no, ma'am, no, sir. I'm, I say that all the time. And I have, you know, those people that correct me, oh, sir, it was my dad, yada. That's me being respectful. And I've done that. I even respond that way to my own kids. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Stuff like that. Because I want them to exercise that when they are talking to you. So, you know, that's really good. And also, there, there was this old thing that we used to do in a church, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. That's a form of respect, but it also reminds people that they're part of our family too. We look at them as family. But I really don't want people to go around calling anybody else father or mother so-and-so. <laughs> so there's well, I'll that. never be able to stop calling Brother Perryman, Brother Perryman. <laughs> so that's just stuck. I met him when I was nine, and I've been calling him that since. So. Okay, next question. How do we help our daughter to believe in God again? She says the Bible is outdated. I, Henry just went, ooh. <laughs> that's a tough question. And I, I'm, I'm going to kind of answer this because I think – I think you could get this from just anybody, not just a ch- child, you know, someone within your home. This is a coworker could, could, could make that statement to you. Um, I know that we've tried to teach our children, you know, to be in church every time the door is open because you're going to learn something. You're going you're gonna to dive into that word. In children's ministries, we encourage that children's pastor, those children's ministries to put that word into our children. And so the key part of this question is that outdated the word of God was written hundreds and thousands of years ago. So is it outdated? It's dated, right? Because that's a timeline. But, but the key thing, in Bible school, they taught us the word hermeneutics. And so when you go to preach, you need to find out what it meant back then and take that scripture and apply it to today. So one, one simple, simple King James version is, thou shalt not lie. The, the Hebrew uh, interpretation of that is profound. Don't lie. Really simple, right? 
And so does that apply today? Absolutely. You tell one lie, you got to cover it up with another lie, and, and it compounds. So take that scripture, tell that child, and, and put it in on their terms. You know, there, there's, a, there's an intelligence level. <laughs> when you're sharing that with Riker, he's nine years old. Put it on that nine-year-old level. Let them understand that from that level. Don't tell him the word hermeneutics. He's not going to get it. Right? So let's be, let's be honest with our children and teach them. As they grow, you need to let them grow in that word and show them it, it's a living, breathing word of God. And let it breathe into your life. Let it breathe into your family. Amen? I think, too, you know, just having you live it, um, which he said, you know, it's not just in your family, it's a coworker or something. You know, they're watching you. Um, they're kind of taking mental notes. How are you responding when this crisis happens? Or how are you reacting to this news? Um, so I think, too, just living it um, and showing them that it does apply as you're living it as well. Okay, next question. How do you show hospitality? To me, hospitality. To me, hospitality is uh, being a servant or servanthood. And by being friendly and sh uh, showing God's love through you. Most of the time when we think of hospitality, we think of having someone a lot of times into our homes for a meal or something like that. And I am the, I heard a, a young lady speak Friday night on Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And she was talking about how Mary is the one that always scurries around and trying to get the house, I mean, Martha trying to get the house all cleaned up and all that. Well, that's me. And Martin's more the Mary part. He's, it's okay. Everything's going to be fine. And we, he used to do meals for me when I was a women's ministry. We'd have a, a fellowship, a sectional one. And it scared me to death every time he did it, but he always pulled it out very well. So, but it's been, through the years, I've learned to be a servant. Neither one of us were raised in ministers' homes. And I had to learn to be a servant and serve people and not expect anything in return. Because most of the time, just being friendly, showing yourself, building a relationship. And uh, it's not all the time having someone in your home. There are other things that you can do to show hospitality. You can uh, text someone. Most of the time when, somebody, when the Lord drops somebody on my heart, there's something going on in their life. And there's been many times that God has done that. And I've either sent a text or I've sent a card I've made a phone call or I've taken something by and I've learned that at that particular time they needed something. So if God speaks to you to do something like that, do it because that's ministry, that's servanthood, that's hospitality. And if you want to do hospitality here at the church, I'm over the Connection Center. I'd be happy to, for you to, to come talk to me. I figured I might as well plug this while I could. There is one scripture, and I've lost my page here, so give me a minute if I can get my phone back up. There's one scripture in Proverbs 18:24 that says, A man that haveth friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. When we were assigned this question, 
we thought, why? We don't have the gift of hospitality. And so we were talking this with one of our daughter, and she said, oh, yes, you do. So anyway. I have to disagree. I think you guys exhibit that gift so well. You know, you really do. So I can't tell you the number of texts and cards and just encouragement from this couple that I've received just personally. So. Telling me that the people in our Connection Center are not hospitable. <laughs> or loving our kids. They love our kids. So, You know, I was thinking about this as well. The, the root, uh, the same word of hospitality uh, is used in hospital, and it's also used in hotel and hospice. And if you want to... You think about how, the, how God has called us to be a church and God has called us to bring healing. And you don't think about this at the time, but when you, when you put out that spread in front of somebody, when you write the card, when you make that quick phone call or that text, don't you think that you're speaking healing? You're speaking care into somebody's life and it's, it's healing from the inside out. And so I want to encourage you that, that gift of hospitality is not to be overlooked. Okay, how do you ensure that family time is balanced with your church ministry duties? So it's not always easy, um, but I think that you have to be intentional about your time. If, if you're able to, in, in any way, include your children in that ministry, um, the Bible says raise them up in the ways that they should go. And so our family is music ministry. So our kids have, have always been involved on in some level or another. Um, so yeah, teach them every opportunity you can create moments, um, be it at church or at home, uh, whether you're watching a movie together or playing a game or whatever, you, you have to be intentional because we all get busy and time passes by and all of a sudden you didn't have enough time, you know, that you wanted for spending with your your kids or your loved ones. So you just need to be intentional. That's such a good answer. And I really appreciate that. Um, at this moment, we're not able to finish our questions. We're not able to continue on because of time. But I do want to turn, and I think that on stage, if there's one question that we have as a congregation, there there is a question, Pastor Henry, of how are you doing? How is your family doing? Because I, I know that as a family, you've ministered to us as a congregation so much of the time. And we know, know that the loss that you've been going through and we, we've, we've loved you through that moment, but how are you doing as a family? Um, everybody that I've had opportunity to talk with, I just tell them, we just take it a day at a time. So it's been two months and two days. And um, it's, if, you've never, if you've never felt loss of a loved one, it's really close to you. Um, it's hard. It's a roller coaster. And uh, I have a, I've lost, I lost a best friend growing up. Uh, I lost my dad at the age of 20. Um, and each loss has been different. Each loss has felt different. It's heard differently. Um, I 
This one's hard. Melissa and I were together for 24 years. We were in November 13th. We will have been married for 24 years. And uh, she was the love of my life. I want to thank all of you, my church family, for all the prayers, the encouragement, the financial help, the, the everything. And it, it still continues. And you guys are absolutely amazing. And there's no way that we could have even be where we are today without you. So sincerely, if, if I don't send you a card saying thank you back, just please, thank you. Thank you, thank you. It means so much. It means so much. We love you guys. Thank you. When we say we are family, it's not just a trite thing. Each one of us come from a place where we're hurting, we feel lost, we have regrets, we've made mistakes, we've had wins in our life. And as a congregation, we sit here and and this is really family. It's really family whenever you're hurting. It's really family whenever you feel sad. It's really family whenever you're in trouble. It's really family when everything is going well in your life. God didn't intend for us to live life alone. He intended for us to live in community, in family. Our goal here at Christ's Legacy is we want each and every soul to come to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of Christ, to understand the gospel and to live inside of the gospel message inside of their community. But we realize also that healthy people make up healthy families. You can't have a healthy family without a health, healthy person. And as healthy families come together and begin to exhibit what a relationship looks like in Christ, healthy families make up healthy churches. That's what we want here. Because healthy churches are God's plan for redemption for our community. It's amazing to me that the, the God of all creation, the father of, of us all, decided to use us as his method of bringing the gospel, the good news to each and every person, each and every life. Each and every one of us comes from a broken place. We've experienced loss and hurt and pain. God knows about it. He knows about your hurts. He knows about your pains. He knows that you're not qualified to present the gospel. Me neither. But in spite of it all, he uses us. He uses our relationships. He uses our brokenness. He uses our mistakes. You know why? Because your life and my life reflect the gospel. That God can take brokenness and pain, mistakes, hurts, fighting in the family, <laughs> Sunday morning drives. How many of you had a fight on the way to church? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> he uses all of it. 
And then whenever another family looks at you or another person looks at you and they can see that you've lived that life, you've had tough times in your life, but there's a difference. There's a difference in your life. And the difference is through it all, through it all, God has saved you. He's redeemed you. He's given peace. He's spoken over your life, joy and blessing. That through the worst pain of your life, you still worship. Through the hurt, through the pain, you still love. Through all the mistakes, there's still hope and there's a, and still a tomorrow. And you and I have a responsibility then. Our responsibility is to first to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we don't just do it as an individual, we do it as a family. And then our second responsibility is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Love the other families, right? As ourself. That means that when you see hurt, when you see pain, you come in not to try to correct them, not to try to bring the word down on top of their head, but instead, hospitably, right? As a way to bring healing and hope. And the gospel of Christ, the only thing that can fix the hurt, the only thing that can bring redemption, the only thing that can bring peace, hope, and joy. Because there's a world out there that's trying every other thing. There's a world out there that's trying all these other way, ways and methods and they've got hurt in their family and their family's all messed up. But you have the answer. Your family has the answer. Your children in children's church are learning the answer to every life problem. That's to make Jesus the center of it all, the center of a relationship the center at the dinner table, the center in the church. And you and I, every person in this place as a part of that healing redemption in people's lives. So you don't have to be perfect to come here. Your family doesn't have to be perfect. Somebody say amen. <laughs> You just have to trust the Lord. Would you stand with me all over this place? This morning, why do we worship? It's because God has redeemed each and every one of us. And I love the fact that the Greek terminology has a way of expressing something that it's difficult to understand in English. But when we talk about redemption or salvation, it's not that we have been saved. It's not that God will save us, 
But when we talk about salvation, God says that he has saved us, he is saving us, and he will continue to save us. And this morning, this room is filled with families and filled with individuals that God is not done with you yet. And if you see something going on in your family and it's hurting you and there's a burden inside of you, God is still working. So still press in and still believe and still trust that God is not done with your family. He's not done with your husband, ma'am. He's not done with your, your, your wife, sir. He's not done with your kids, parents. And if you're a grandparent in here, he's not done with your grandkids or your kids. He is still moving and still active. And for that reason and that reason alone, he deserves the glory and he deserves the honor. And he deserves our, our praise this morning. So let's just praise him for a moment. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you for all that you've done and all that you'll continue to do. Because Lord, you're not done with us yet. Lord, you're still working in our life. You're still doing it, Lord Jesus. And Lord, though our lives and our hearts are filled with questions that remain unanswered, Lord, you are the answer to all of our questions. And so we will trust you. We will, we will pray and we'll ask God for your, your guidance and we'll listen with our whole hearts and we'll follow with our whole lives because you are the way, the truth, and the life. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you. Hallelujah. And Lord, as we're dismissed from this place, I pray, God, that your sweet spirit will encompass these families. Lord, that you would touch each and every one of our hearts. And Lord, as we walk out of this place, we'll make a difference, not just because of us, but because of our families in your community. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory and the, all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's bless our community.